record of Matthew uh, chapter 20. And uh, this time, listen please as I read the inspired word of God. Matthew chapter 20, verses uh, 20 through 28. Hear now the word of the Lord. Matthew 20, 20 through 28. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, it's speaking of Jesus, she asked him for something. And uh, he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And to the reading of the word of God, let us all say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The uh, gospel isn't just a message that we believe. The gospel is also a way that we live. Uh, When we say that we're gospel people, we're not just saying that we trust the message of the gospel. We say, we're also saying that we live the message of the gospel. You see, the Bible won't allow us to sever those. The Christian faith is not just about something that goes on in your mind. It's not just about something that you believe. It's about beliefs that shape the way that you live. The message and the life go together. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what Jesus said. James said, faith without works is dead. Now let me be more specific today. (coughs) In this account, Jesus teaches that his disciples, to some degree, uh, recapitulate his own life. That is to say, Jesus' life is a pattern for how they and how we should live. I don't mean, of course, that we die on the cross for people's sins. But there is a general sense in which Jesus' life is a pattern for our lives. Jesus lived, and he suffered, and he died, and he was resurrected, and he was glorified, and he was honored, and he was rewarded, and and so will we be. Jesus was God's gospel man, and we are called to be gospel men and women, too. Now, today I'd like briefly to highlight one way of Christian living that is at the heart of the gospel. And if we miss this way, we've missed the gospel. Uh, Jesus (coughs) makes this very plain in answering uh, James and John, his disciples, and their mother, (coughs) 
who uh, comes to him. Their mother had asked if uh, in the kingdom, the fullness of the kingdom, her sons could rule with Jesus, one sitting on the left hand and one on the right hand. And then Jesus said, well, actually, that's my father's choice. That's not my choice. And anyway, Jesus asked, can you be baptized with my baptism? Now, about this time, the other ten disciples were indignant, furious, mad at how James and John were boasting they could be baptized the way that Jesus was, and that they wanted to sit one on the right hand and one on the left hand. He was no doubt talking about his death. He wasn't, when he said baptism, he wasn't talking about baptism in water. He was talking about his death, which is mentioned in verses 17 to 25, the baptism of death. That's what he's talking about. No problem, basically, they say. We'll die like you, Lord, just, just so we can sit on your right hand and on your left hand on the throne in a place of great authority and great power. Well, Jesus said, you don't really know what you're asking. You are going to be baptized, as I will be. That is, they'd suffer and be martyred. But only the Father can decide who's going to sit next to me, next to me in the kingdom. Well, that's basically at the point at which the other disciples got so indignant. <clears throat> now, we, we can't really blame James and John's mother for asking. I mean, all mothers want the best for their children, don't they? Don't you want the best for your children? We don't blame her for that. And actually, if you read the text, Jesus didn't really blame her. But the disciples did blame James and John for their proud presumption. To be so presumptuous as to come to Jesus Christ and have their mother, probably put their mother up to it, and ask Jesus Christ such a thing. Now, <coughs> interestingly though, interestingly, that's not what Jesus did. He didn't blame them for being proud. He didn't blame them for being presumptuous. He blamed them for going about trying to be great in the wrong way. That leads to the first truth. Jesus talked about the way that the Gentiles define greatness. Now, Jesus uses the term Gentiles there, and in this sense, he probably wasn't using it as a racial term. He didn't really mean non-Jews. Here are the Jews, and here are the Gentiles. That's not really what he's saying. Gentiles, often in the Bible, as Jesus used it particularly, was shorthand for pagans and unbelievers. That is, those outside the covenant people of God. The Jews are inside the covenant people of God. They're God's chosen people. The Gentiles are not a part of the people of God. They're outside the covenant people of God. That's no doubt what he was talking about. And specifically, he probably meant the Romans. Because they were the rulers, you understand, at the time particularly. The Romans. They were ruling the Jewish nation at the time. Jesus was saying, <coughs> the pagans have their way of greatness. But that's not the way of God's people. We have a different way. We have a different conception of the path to greatness. Quit mimicking the unbelievers and pagans' way of greatness. That's what he said. It's totally off base. In fact, it's just the opposite of the right way. <clears throat> now, since all of us are surrounded by a depraved and apostate culture, I suspect that you've noticed that. We need constantly to be asking ourselves this question. When something confronts us, a decision about how to live, we should ask ourselves, what is the Gentile way and what is God's way? In everything. In uh, dating, those of you who have children of that age, in clothing styles, 
in body modification, in, quote, family planning, in child-rearing practices, how to rear your children, in the criterion for movies, what to watch and what not to watch, in politics, in our monthly budget and debt, in our approach to work, our attitude toward going to work and how we should work, all of those things. We may not, as God's covenant people, just sort of default to the, uh, the popular cultural way and assume everything's okay. Well, everybody does it this way, of course. We go to church on Sunday so we can love Jesus a little more. But as far as the rest of our lives, we can just basically sort of live the way that people out in the world do, just not as bad as they are. But that's the opposite of what Jesus is saying. There is the Gentile way, and there is God's way. There is the pagan unbelieving way, and there is God's way. Now, what's the pagan unbelieving way to greatness? Well, Jesus is very clear. <clears throat> Pagans, unbelievers, love to lord it over people. They lust to exercise their authority. They demand that everybody serves them. They're the quintessential takers. You know, we talk about people being either givers in life or takers. They're the quintessential takers. They're the classic entitlement class. The classic entitlement class. They think they're entitled to be served. Other people are there to be used for their own ambitions. Other people are a means to an end. They're always interested in vertical mobility. Don't you love that language? Vertical mobility. Basically, that means whom can I step on to get a little higher up in the human dog pile that surrounds us. That's basically what it means. The pagan way, this pagan way of greatness is just pervasive in human history. It started in Genesis, <coughs> and it's going on today in America, 2014. In all institutions, in the family, in businesses, um, in, the, in the state, in politics, uh, in education, uh, in the church even, sadly, in the... Um, uh, art, all areas of life. There's the pagan way to greatness, and there's God's way. Examples. The husband <coughs> who uses his wife as a doormat, as a sex object, and couldn't care less about meeting her deep needs, about meeting her desires. He's acting like a pagan. That's the pagan way. The husband who wields his authority over his wife like an axe. And I've seen some men not here, thank God, do that. He's a weak man, not a strong man. Um, it can happen in the church. Pastor, elders expect the members to serve them and want to be treated as celebrities. Or going the way of the pagans. Now, this is on my mind and heart because there's so many Christian celebrities in the last two or three months that have fallen into tragic sin. Very prominent ones. Too many celebrities. They don't even know their members' names. Don't even know their members' names. How can they pray for the sheep by name if they don't even know their names? Seem to care more about their book tour or their jet setting or adulation than they do the deep needs and hardships and failures and successes of the people around them and their flock. They might be seeking greatness, but they're seeking it in the precisely the wrong way. I was thinking about that. This is a funny story, and it's so true and sad. Funny and sad at the same time. Years ago, I was preaching in Sacramento, 
there's a pastor there that I knew, just in fact, he just retired a couple months ago. He told me that not long before a young man, I think he was about 27 or 28, approached him in the aisle. Right after church, the minister was walking, this man was walking back, and one of the young men in the church, 28-year-old young man, approached him in the aisle and said, Pastor, I'd just like to know, go to, the, to offer myself as an elder. This pastor that I knew was a very old, uh, older than I, old, wise man. He was, of course, taken back a little bit by this, but he responded well. He says, eldership certainly is a, a godly aspiration. Nothing wrong with that aspiration. Why do you want to be an elder? And uh, the young man, he told me, replied, because I want to tell people what to do. With a straight face. Well, uh, obviously, this uh, young man was about as qualified to be an elder as a pizza shop delivery boy is qualified to be CEO of uh, General Electric. In other words, he's not. That's the pagan way in the family and in the church. There's also the pagan way in society. Let's face this squarely. I was thinking about this in Mexico and praying about it. Can't bat an eyelash at this. That what we today term state socialism is the pagan way and free markets are God's way. Not because there's some ideology to capitalism that we as Christians care about. That's not the issue. (coughs) How can we be so bold as to say this on the authority of the word of God? Because state socialism is about demanding of other people and free markets are about serving other people. The multi-billionaire CEO might live in a mansion, he might drive a fleet of Rolls Royces, but along the way he had to serve somebody to get there. Somebody had a need and he had to meet that need. I love the expression I heard years ago. Somebody said America, maybe this isn't true today, probably true 40 years ago. America is the only country in the world where the multi-billionaire calls his waiter, sir. You know why that is? Because the multi-billionaire respects the lowliest person that serves him. There's great dignity and greatness in serving someone else. Serving other people is the way to greatness. Years ago, I uh, knew a man, Sharon and I had him at our house. He was really, really smart. And uh, he knew he was smart. And I think he was pretty proud of the fact that he was smart. And he somehow had the idea that people should support him because he was smart. Uh, now, for some strange reason, they didn't quite fall at his feet in order to support him. Uh, <clears throat> so, <clears throat> finally, I told him, his name was Theodore, I said, uh, kind of a pretentious name, right? I said, um, let's start, why don't you start serving other people, and then maybe they'll support you. Smart people are a dime a dozen. There's nothing special about being smart, but there's plenty special about serving other people. Understand that for Jesus, the summit of human greatness is serving other people. Now, please note, Jesus isn't just saying that God loves humility. Of course that's true. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying if you want to be truly great, start serving other people. Now, I want you to get that down. The quest for greatness is not misplaced. People think, well, I... I don't want to think, uh, I don't want to be a great person because I don't know if Jesus would be happy, so I'm just going to be a doormat for Jesus. That's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying. All of us here, all of us here should desire, should desire to be great, but we need to go about greatness in the right way. And greatness is found in serving other people. That's what he's saying. The great people are those who serve other people.
Have you ever noticed that the greatest influence comes uh, with those that we serve, not those that we command? Greatness comes through service. It comes through service. Why does a mother, a good mother, why does a faithful mother have so much influence over the lives of her children? Not because she's a boss, not because of that, but because they see her work hard. They see her sacrifice for them to meet their needs, to serve them. And that makes a profound, lifelong impression on them. Why? Because she's a servant. She has influence. Know this. Those who serve other people have huge influence in their lives. Huge influence. Pagans have the twisted idea, including Christians acting like pagans, have the twisted idea that influence and power come through authority. They're wrong. Influence and power come through service. Influence and power come through serving other people. You want to gain great power? Serve other people. Reach out and meet people's needs. Sacrifice for them. You'll be amazed at the authority that you have in their lives. And it's not authority that's commanded. It's authority that's earned through service. Now, next and final thing. The gospel way of greatness I want to talk about for a minute. Understand that Jesus exemplified this truth, and that's why he said what he did in verse 28. I want to read verse 28 again to you. Notice what he said. Even as the Son of Man, he's speaking of himself there. That's an expression based on the Old Testament, but referring to Jesus. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am an example of the way you need to be. My life is an example of what I'm telling you. That's what he's saying. He's offering his life and his his death as an example of the very thing he was teaching his disciples. If you'd like to know why Jesus was the greatest man who ever lived, it wasn't just because he was the son of God, that's true enough, but because he served other people better than anybody else in history. That's why Jesus Christ was the greatest man who ever lived. He served more than anybody else who ever lived. He gave hope to the poor, and he healed the diseased, and he exalted women, and he opened up his arms to the weak and the discouraged and the humble and the repentant, and he (coughs) befriended tax collectors and and prostitutes and sinners, and he called 12 simple Jews, and he (coughs) poured his life into them, and most of all, he gave his life on the cross for humanity, not just as an example of love but as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of humanity. I think about that when I read in Isaiah 53, which is a prophecy of Jesus. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Talking about somebody that serves someone else. Do you see that? That's what he was saying there in Matthew 28. Matthew 20. In other words, Jesus was always looking out for other people. He wasn't looking out for himself. His entire calling was enveloped in other people. He lived to please the Father. And he lived to serve his fellow humans. That's how he lived. That's the gospel. I was thinking about that when I was reading Matthew's account from Matthew 4. Listen to this. Would you like to know what it's at the heart of the gospel? It says of Jesus, He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming, here it is, the gospel of the kingdom, 
and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them, and great crowds followed him. Now please note, this is very prominent. Understand this. This doesn't mean that Jesus had a healing ministry. Jesus didn't have a healing ministry. He had a servant ministry. You understand the difference? He didn't blow into town as some faith healer celebrity. Oh, let's go see the celebrity. And if your leg's bad, come on down and maybe you'll get healed. That wasn't the point at all. Jesus was living to help people. His whole life was poured out to help people. The gospel of the kingdom is the gospel of serving other people. Living as God's people means living a different way from the pagans. Living God's way means living in the gospel. And living in the gospel means serving other people. That's what he's saying. That's why Paul writes in Philippians 2.4, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, like in the last couple minutes, just sort of put some flesh on the bones here and say, what does it look like in our culture to be great by serving other people? Everyone here should aspire to greatness. So well, I'm just kind of a small, insignificant... Nope. Everybody here should aspire to greatness. You should aspire to be a great person. And would you like to know, according to the word of God, what a great person is? A great person is someone who serves other people. That's how you need to be great. Husbands, it means asking your wife what you can do to make her life a little easier and doing your best, if you can, by God's grace, to, to do that. Single adults, since marriage is about service, find a spouse that you can serve and that can serve you. The church here is filled with people who have needs. Did you know that? People right around here have needs. God places people right in our path in the church so that we can serve them. By the way, I want to issue a little warning. There is a temptation to look for spectacular needs on the other side of the earth. Nothing wrong with that, per se. And to kind of avoid the needs that are right in front of us. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. This is often done on TV. Someone's starving somewhere, and this is a, I'm not making fun in light at all. But, that's certain. but you look at that, and oh, we've got to send all this money, and I'm really doing something significant because I'm sending my $17 every month to, to this, this child that has needs. Again, I'm not poking fun at that at all. That is necessary. But, but, this is a sort of spectacular and perhaps to a degree a feel-good need when you have somebody in the congregation right next to you that just needs encouragement and needs prayer and they can barely get along in their life. You see, God places on our path people that have needs. He places them there providentially. So let's be careful not to go away toward and be attracted toward spectacular feel-good needs that we can fulfill, but those that God places right in our path, right in our path. Older ladies, this means giving your time to young mothers to give them counsel, oftentimes with their children. They don't know where to turn. Maybe they have difficulties in their marriage. Some of you older ladies, please pour your lives into some of these young ladies. It might mean babysitting. It might mean seeking out single ladies to pour your life into. Older men, <coughs> some of these younger men are navigating for the first time the uh, choppy waves of family life. And you sure know about it. I know about it. We've been through it. My job, your jobs, come beside them, advise them, encourage them. Don't try to dominate their lives, but just try to encourage them. Give words of advice 
as you can. Steer them through these waters. It means giving people financial advice. Those of you in business, give people business advice. It means taking the time to listen to them. That's serving other people. It means putting money into pressing needs they have. I don't mean financing people's bad decisions, but specific needs come from time to time. Putting money into those needs. It means encouraging the smallest of children. Yeah, that's what it means. Getting down with them and talking to them. Tell them that Jesus loves them. Tell them that you love them and how important they are. It means committing to pray for your sisters and your brothers who are enduring great trials. And to keep on praying until God answers. Gospel greatness requires living for other people. That's what Jesus Christ did. That's Jesus' way. That's the gospel way. And that's God's way for us. The church isn't just about hearing sound doctrine. The church isn't just about worshiping God, although certainly that comes first. It's about treating people as he wants them to be treated. And Jesus wants us to serve other people. That, my friend, according to Jesus Christ, is God's way to greatness. And every one of us here should aspire to be great people by serving other people. That too, by the way, when people see that, will draw people to this congregation. That will draw them to this congregation. So let us be great people. Let us strive to be great people. Great people by serving others. Let us pray. Uh, I'd like for um, Bob Emmert. Bob, would you pray that this church would be a church that lives the gospel by serving other people?